0: Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of The Grid Show. I'm here with my homie Tyrell Gray. I'm James Lawrence, the Iron Cowboy. What's up, brother? My man, how are you? It's good to be back. I'm amazing. I'm super excited that you, you time, are amazing. I am. <laughs> oh. And today we're not running. Ra- yeah, I have a today. Today we're not running video. So you can't actually see how amazing I am. We'll explain why we're not running video. Um, and I just want to touch on real quick, too. We we just launched our iron grid experiences. Oh, no, yeah, yeah. I saw n- n- that on n- on number Instagram. number yeah. one question I get is how do I become more mentally tough? How do I become more gritty? It's not gonna be by listening to this podcast, it's not gonna be by reading our books. It's going to be having an experience. 100%. Having an experience, and that's how you learn, change, and grow. So head over to our website, ironcowboy.com, and check out the Grit Experiences. Um, first one's going to be in Kanab, Utah, and then we've got a private Virgin Island. It's going to be amazing. Yeah, uh, I saw that. Absolutely limited spots. 15 to 20 people want it to be exclusive, want it to be experienced. So, yeah. Check those out. But today, today I'm super excited. Dude, this is um, this is a big one. It like
1: literally ties into what you just said.
0: I I, I told someone that we we had this guest or are having this guest on today. They literally almost jumped out of my car on the freeway they were so excited at the prospect they were like we just read this book and we just did this and we saw this and and they're just super excited and so i'm I'm gonna i'm gonna let you introduce them because it's a it's a it's a high profile um guest um and and we need to be careful with with names and, and images yeah. which is why we're not not was, having video today big deal.
1: i uh i'm just gonna do a quick background real fast this is a uh, this is one of those weird situations in life you know you have those situations where you read something, or you uh, you hear about something, you're like, man, I'd just love to meet that guy. And uh, I read this book that this that this gentleman wrote, and it literally made a massive impact in my life. And it was the story of this this young man um, who I've since got to be good friends with. I actually got the opportunity. We're going to spend some time together in Alaska um, this year. We're going up with a couple friends, and we're just going to hang out for a week and and chase moose and grizzly bears around. Um, the maybe still named Marco one. And I don't have the words to to ex- to do the the proper intro mark i I know we've got you there i want to say i don't know fights better than mike tyson where's batman underwear i don't know where do i go like mark how are you man i'm I'm glad you can't see my face because i'm laughing at this i'm so excited like i literally i told my kids i was leaving the house and i'm like i'm like hey we're gonna get to have mark on the podcast today and my son wanted to come to the sound booth i'm like dude the sound booth is pretty small i'm like i'll I'll let you listen to the podcast when you're done he was super excited
2: I love it. Well, tell them to set their expectations low and they'll
1: be low. <laughs> so, I, 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 you know, I'm just going to jump right into it. So, there's like your story. I don't know, man. It's just amazing. Like what you've done with your life, your career, um, you literally made it to the highest levels in the military as far as operators go. Started out as a Navy SEAL, um, screened for Green Team, which got you into SEAL Team Six, where you got to do the real cool stuff. And that I know that culminated with, um, and, and so if I can share just one experience, I mean, aren't, aren't, I, I,
0: isn't, isn't Seal Team Six like the baddest men on the planet? Amen, the baddest, baddest man. on men on the planet, right?
2: Well, I would, I would say I got to do cool stuff my entire career, and and, and I would say there's cool kids everywhere. But yes, how, how long were
0: you on on Team Six? Uh Eight years. Why, why is it called Seal Team Six?
1: Why not? Why not one?
2: So I guess that's just the number they gave it.
1: Okay. So you want to hear, this is what I was told. Tell me if this is true or not. So I was told originally when Dick Marcinko started this whole thing up, it kind of got leaked out that the government was making this exclusive team. And there was only three at the time. And so when they started team six, they called it six to make them think there was more. When really, really it was less. I don't know if that's true. Is that a true story? I, I've heard that same story. I'm not sure if that's accurate or not, but I've I've heard that. I think we run with it. I like it. I like it. We're going we're gonna to share that as gospel. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So that you, you had some amazing experiences, including you were actually on the Osama Raid. Like you were, you were on the helicopter. You were actually on the helicopter that crashed. Yes, sir. And so this is, if I could share just my experience, I got a, a pretty special opportunity with Mark and, and his wife and, and his wife's family. We were actually in New York and uh, we got to have a private tour. And go through the the memorial, the 911 memorial. Um, got to go through that with you, and um, we had kind of a our own little private tour. And there was when you were when you crashed the helicopter during that raid, you had some bolt cutters on your back, and there actually was a bolt fragment stuck in the handle of the bolt cutter. Yeah. And they have that at the memorial.
2: Yeah, yeah. I met the um, I met one of the curators of the the museum memorial there years back. And, uh, and he reached out at one point and said, Hey, they're putting together an exhibit. Um, did I have anything I'd, I might want to share? I was like, well, I have had these sitting in my safe since I got out or in the bottom of a gear bag somewhere. And so I sent them to him and yeah, he had them on display for a bit.
0: Like that was a
1: live round that like, just missed. Yeah. So like, we're talking inches, like it missed you by, like, I can't imagine on the back of your, like you sit on your, on your back, like you're an inch or two away from hitting yeah, you in so the face. Like a set of
2: bolt cutters with, picture like uh, twenty four inch handles or something. You buy it at Home Depot or something. But in a in a pouch on my back, and each handle kind of comes up either side of my head, um. So I can reach back far enough and grab them, pull them out of the pocket, you know, do them, cut something, put them back in. And so yeah, kind of like rat, big rabbit ears or something.
1: So this is where I want to kind of start. Like our podcast, obviously, we want to hear stories that you know people can kind of learn and hopefully help them in their own lives of grit and in your book so you've written two books um no easy day was the one that i read that really kind of inspired me and and honestly got me so excited to meet you and and spend time with you and then no hero which was um so no easy day is kind of your story and then culminates with um osama um that whole that whole action and then no hero stories of guys that you've served with um in, in no easy day, you were talking about when you're leaving for the raid, like you guys didn't think you're coming back. You're like, nope. Like, we know we're going across the border into Pakistan. <laughs> we're not supposed to be there. We're by a military academy. Like, there's so many things that can go wrong. And so I just want to talk about, dude, The not necessarily the mission would, itself, but would, how did you. Hold on, hold
2: on. Hold on. You say one thing. You're like, I, I thought we were never coming back. I never had a mission where I presumed I wasn't coming back. No, nope, right? yeah. I, I, my, my headspace is always, Hey, I'm going to get through this. Now I can set every contingency in place and plan on it, not happening, but in my mind, it's happening. We're going to, we're going to walk through this exactly. Uh, uh, I'm not
1: walking to my death. That's stupid.
2: Right. Well let's I'm I'm walking out of this. Now let's plan accordingly
1: so I can. So how do you how do you develop that attitude? Like let's talk about that. Like, dude, that's I don't know. You're you were in some of the absolute worst situations, overwhelming odds. You're going against guys that are trying to shoot you in the face, but you're like, No, I'm I'm making it back.
2: I don't know. I I think it it would sidetrack you and overwhelm you if you think of the failure side of things. And I think you learn that in buds, right? I think that's all part of that bud selection process of stretching people outside their comfort zone. I I think, yeah, I've just been stretched out of my comfort zone, whether it was my upbringing in Alaska or through buds or, you know, through my time in the seal teams. And I think that just, uh Gives you a mindset, and I think that oh, most of the guys on the on the big mission have been around a long, long time, and and hey, they have done enough missions to say, hey, wow, there's some tougher ones, there's some easier ones, but you can, you can lose life on any of those. So the the mission's the mission, right? You're gonna get through it. What are your liabilities, and and plan against those, and and then
1: jump in the deep end, <laughs> <laughs> just jump in and swim.
2: Yes.
0: I love yeah. I love this mindset, and it, it's something that we've talked about in, in on the podcast uh, prior to this one, um, and, and it's about having those life experiences and building that success train or that momentum, and when you're in that moment, like you're saying, you're headed to one of the biggest missions in U.S. history, and you look to your left, and you can look at that body of work that you've done and gain that confidence, knowing, okay, we've done this before we have a game plan, we've got a team beside us, and we're gonna go in and execute it at a really high level. And it's just a matter of confidence, but it's because you've showed up, you've done the training, you've done the work, you've made those sacrifices. And through all of that, you've gained the knowledge and experience to be ready for, quote unquote, that moment.
2: Yep, yep. And, and then I, I'd tie in the fact that if you, if, you, if you play the game of war long enough, Right. And and there's those that have had, you know, uh, small amounts of intense action or or years of it. Right. And and guys who I was on the mission with had been in, you know, hundreds and hundreds of missions and lots of different uh, contacts. A- and I-, I think for most of us, there was an expectation that, hey, you weren't necessarily worried or, or contemplated the not coming back piece that was like hey that, that maybe that's just expected part of the job and hey that's just built into that and it, it just adds another level of of the commitment angle to the job because you know i lost a boatload of friends right that was a job that you were losing people left and right and uh you know it's one thing to have commitment it's another thing to have commitment when you know death is on the other end of it
0: yeah is there something from that day and that mission that um, you'd be willing to share that uh, maybe the public misunderstands or perceptions off or uh, just something amazing that happened?
2: Of of what? The what, what day? What are you talking about? The Bin Laden
0: day? Yeah, the Bin Laden.
2: Oh, man. I, I, I say this all the time, right? Um, somebody interviewed Mike Tyson after he had a, a big fight. And like, Mike, you know, didn't you have a plan going into tonight's fight? And Tyson was like, yeah, everybody has a plan until you get punched in the face. Right. I I bring that one up all the time. I'm like, that's the best analogy I have for that night, right? We had a great plan. We got punched in the face. Um, And it was because years of training and commitment and the, the, you know, all the pieces that went into the 24 guys there that night, we were able to kind of adapt and overcome the punch in the face and, and still make it happen. Right. It, it wasn't the, the sexy stuff you see in the movies, per se.
0: Yeah. So when you get home after all that goes down and, um, you know, you kind of change the course of of the world, really. Um, what's that feeling like? Uh, or, or is it is it a high? Is it a low? Is it a just a, a numbness? What is it like?
2: More of a numbness, because I don't think you understand really the you don't know what you don't know. How has anybody been in that position before? you're sitting there, you've just done another mission. You know, lots of dudes have been shot on different raids. And this is just another one. This was a high profile one. Okay. A a, a dude with a different name. Okay. You know, yeah, Yeah. that dude has a background different than some of the other bad dudes we've shot. Um, It was hard to grasp the weight and gravity of it i guess uh um, harmony especially of it. when when we had done it so often this was just another one i think it was right the press and the media and everybody else that made it a big thing
1: do you think uh, you and i have an affinity just because i uh like ironically i i hunted in alaska and guided just outside of the small town you grew up in there's a, a small village that you grew up there um and and alaska can be a pretty unforgiving place like, do you feel like, we talk about this all the time. Like I was talking to one of my friends yesterday and he's like, you know, do you think leaders are born or can they be made? And my my perception honestly is I really feel like the greatest leaders are just kind of born that way. They're guys that just innately have it. And I, I heard someone say something once that the BUDS program doesn't necessarily build Navy SEALs. It finds the guys that already internally were. Like, do you feel like your upbringing kind of just, set you on that path that hey i grew up in a harsh environment and it kind of just helped propel you like when you got to buzz that you're like okay i got it like i'm gonna make it through this
2: i would say just because you're a seal doesn't make you a leader uh let me start there uh i think that just makes you tough and with the right amount of grit to survive but that's what you know makes you yep. a navy seal. you don't necessarily have a lot of leadership you have to demon yeah some leadership but it, it doesn't make you a leader um Growing up in Alaska and the environment and in the village and the harsh weather and the, you know, blah, blah, blah. I think that that taught me some of the grit and resilience and uh, survival skills and that type of stuff that certainly enhanced my skill set in the teams. Um, But I wouldn't say it it, it it defined me. I worked with some really badass SEALs. Uh, Puerto Rican guy grew up in Brooklyn. Had never seen the Pacific Ocean until he went to Buds. No way! One of the most badass seals I know, right? Really? Uh, so, so you never, you never know, right? Uh, I grew up in Brooklyn. I grew up in a in a village with a gun, hunting and fishing. Great. We ended up on the same mission at the end of our careers, and, and you know he he was probably equally as skilled or better than I was. So, um, I, I think my upbringing in Alaska helped me um with that but may, maybe his upbringing in uh in brooklyn and, and whatever he dealt with on the streets there built his resilience to to become a, a better seal later on in
0: life yeah i think the, both those environments are very different but they're both they can both be pretty hard t- tested battlegrounds you know yeah. and yeah. you know and, and neither and I, of
2: them are orange county
0: yeah exactly <laughs> and uh, i did this one race uh in 2019 it was called the world's toughest race it was in the back part of fiji And, you know, they, the host country was given a couple spots to race. I mean, it's an adventure style race and map and compass and a a whole bunch of different modalities that we had to learn and, and get through. And, and these, these Fijian teams had like zero chance of, of clearing the course. Or so we thought, because they had terrible coaching. They had the the worst equipment. Um, But it, it was shocking to watch as this race progressed over the, the 10 or 12 days um, the Fijian teams ended up finishing the race and both of them. And the reason the conclusion that I drew and the reason that I believe they finished is because they grew up being gritty out of necessity. And it was their environment that that made them be that way. And they they just they looked at a task and they just kind of chipped away at it until they completed it and moved on to the next. Now, they weren't the fastest, but I but here's what's here's what's interesting is they beat every single other team that quit because they just decided that they were going to continue on and chip away at it. So just like you um, growing up in Alaska and and this other gentleman who, who, you know, was in maybe the inner city um, there, you had to develop grit out of necessity almost to survive. And that's why we talk a lot about, you've got to put yourself into situations intentionally when we maybe have a more comfortable life or environment in order to to grow and gain that that level of grittiness that it takes when you get into a situation like this, you're, you're prepared and ready for that moment.
2: 100%. I, I feel like I was spoiled as a kid to grow up where I did to get taught all that, right? I, yeah. I have it. I have all those attributes. And, and And I look at my kids now and I'm like, okay, how do I teach them that, right? And if you live in suburbia somewhere, how do you go out with your son or daughter and and expose them to ways to teach them some of this stuff? You've got to get creative in some ways, um, and and it's harder to find out there.
1: Dude, I I had an experience last night that I felt like I failed as a dad because my <laughs> my fourteen year old. I asked him to put a ratchet strap on. I, I went and got some hay for my horses, and I asked him to put a ratchet strap on, and he couldn't figure out how to work a ratchet strap. And I'm just like, I've I've failed. I have completely failed as a father. <laughs> it's just the way that's i grew it. up you know like i just knew that stuff like i grew up on yeah. a
2: cartoon. yeah that's important
1: yeah uh, <laughs> um, dude was there anything like yeah, you've got so many crazy experiences that you've had um were were there any of them ever that you were just like like looking back at it you're like holy crap that was close like that was that was hairy yeah
2: yeah ha- hairy in what way and then i immediately look at him like well i lived through it's so what i learned right like all right what'd you learn from that one if you if it was that hairy that that it made your hair stand up on the back of your neck and it was that close to the call and in whatever whether it was training growing up in alaska going up the wrong rivers you know driving the boat the wrong way when i was too young and shouldn't have been to you know combat stuff um i don't know what are you talking about close calls
1: well i was just thinking anything like i know the one night um in your book you talked about and I apologize, I forgot his name. Um, he wrote a book called, um, it was like Killing the Dragon or something. But it was, you guys had went in to try to, you got information on Bo Bergdahl. You guys had went in to try to get him and, and he ended up getting shot um, yeah. in, the, in the film, Phil. I think.
2: Phil, in my book.
1: Phil, yep. And Phil. I, re- I remember in that book you were talking about, there, there were some guys hiding underneath of a bell of hay. And you guys had just, had just walked past him, just had missed him. And so in my mind, I'm like, something like that would literally like make the hair on the back of my neck stand up. Like these guys could have shot up, got up and shot us and they just didn't see us or didn't hear us for whatever reason. And we just like, it was just luck at that point. Like we just got lucky.
2: Yeah. I mean that, but that luck is every night, right? Every night you're going on a mission. Every night there's potential. You could get shot every night. There's potential. Somebody could get missed and pop out of the the tree line. Like that's, that's just the world you live in every single night. That's it. How, long, how long
1: were you in the team's total?
2: Uh, 14 years.
1: 14, and eight of those were on Team 6.
2: Yeah, yeah. So I did, um, fr- from a timing perspective, getting into the teams where I was when 9-11 happened. I was a brand new guy in my first platoon on my first deployment, which meant, right, 9-11 happened. All, all the senior guys who hadn't done anything in the teams because there hadn't been much going on. You know they all rushed to kuwait and got in on the initial invasion into iraq and they all said they got their combat action and then they immediately went back to you know their staff jobs and then we realized okay we're going to be continually operating in iraq and we're going to be continually operating in afghanistan and then it kind of became okay well we got to look at the platoons and these platoons are are on their deployments cycles and i was a new guy on that cycle so man I lived the dream as the new guy because I just stepped in. A lot of these guys had, you know, they were so senior; they were on their last deployment, retiring. They did one pump and left. And hey, my first, second, third, fourth—I third, mean, every deployment was a combat deployment. And then after after two pumps at at, uh, at Team Five, I screened and went to Damneck. And then when you're there, the pace just picks up, and the and and so away it went. So it was,
1: yeah. So for those that don't know, um, and make sure I'm explaining this right too, to get to team six, you have to be, you have to obviously be a Navy SEAL first. They only, they only pick from the Navy SEALs, but then you have to go through a screening program um, um, and then you get invited back to like actually try out. Is that correct? Like you go through the screening program. They're like, yep, you're good. We'll take you. Then you come try it, but that still doesn't mean you're going to make it.
2: Yeah. No, then, then you got about a nine month uh, program you got to get through um i don't know 50 40 50 percent of those guys don't make it through they go back to uh, the seal team they came from um and if you make it through that whole fun process then you end up as a new guy in the big leagues
1: so that process i've been told is is pretty gritty like that one's <laughs> pretty rough is it was it as hard as buds or do you think it's harder or? it's
2: it's different in
1: two different
2: ways right buds was the buds was and and have i ever read you the statistics for buds
1: Uh
2: -uh. Uh, i'll I'll see if i can pull them up here while we're talking but but buds is the is the kick in the nuts right that's just trying to get you to quit um and and here i've got them up. some of the statistics for buds so in six months of buds tell me to stop if i've shared these with you Uh, In six months of BUDS, each student runs 1,627 miles. That's timed runs, conditioning runs, chow hall runs, et cetera. Each each student swims 134.2 miles. Each student runs the obstacle course 39 times. Each student conducts 42 dives, spending 61 hours underwater. Each class expends 1,413,000 rounds of small arms ammo. Each class detonates 13,382 pounds of high explosives. Um, you graduate, you gotta do this SQT program where you hike or patrol an additional 150 miles. You have to do a, uh, a combat conditioning run at the end of it where you run 12 miles with 70 pounds of your equipment and if you don't do that in three hours or less, you're out. And then the the last statistic here is my favorite. 70 pounds, uh, yeah, uh, 70 pounds, 12 miles, three hours or less. And then, you know, uh, the last statistic says each class has done the equivalent of swimming from Cuba to the southern tip of Florida and then running to New York City.
0: What What percentage of the population in your estimation could do that? nowadays
2: it's (laughs) it's declining rapidly my friend
0: (laughs) that is legit
2: and and then
0: and then what's the difference between the buds and the seal six training okay so
2: so that's just right what you heard was a lot of physical evolutions right Right. and yeah we're gonna we're gonna shoot some ammo we're gonna blow some stuff up but but you heard of a lot of running and swimming and buds is a lot about that we're gonna test you if you if you if you're gonna quit Right. Instead of a, a, a one-hour job interview, they got six months to see if they're gonna make tell you quit every day. And and most of the people that don't want to be there are gonna deselect and quit. So if you can survive that and you can you can do the basic firearms and explosive stuff that they teach you in a safe way, under that stress, and you can graduate that program, okay, boom. You you've made it through buds. Well, now to get into the big leagues, it's a whole nother level. They know you're not gonna quit. Like. We've already deselected for the quitters. Don't, right. don't even bring me quitters now. Like we're higher up the food chain. We want guys who've done at least two deployments. Hopefully, combat opera, you know, full combat deployments now. At this point in the war, um, now your skill set. We're not worried about you not quitting. We want to know how good you are as a SEAL. So now they're going to put you through intensive scenario-based training and see how smart you are tactically and de- and to make decisions under stress but we know you're not gonna quit. So uh, an example I run everybody through is this, this drill they call the hooded box drill, right? The size of a large living room. You go in, you stand there with a a gun and a, a paint cartridge, uh, right? It's non-lethal. You're just shooting paint cartridges out of these guns. They put a hood on you so you can't see what's going on in the room. The instructors come in, they whisper through the hood. They say, hey, we're gonna set up multiple scenarios in here. There's gonna be hundreds of different scenarios we're gonna run you through. Right. We're gonna set them up, we're gonna pull the hood off, and you have to handle whatever's going on. You're like, okay, Roger, that and he's like, Okay, well, hey, one last thing, just so you know, nobody's ever successfully completed any of these. Right. And that's just to get in your head, <laughs> just <laughs> to mess with you. And then he he jumps out of the room, you stand there for a second, and boom, the, the hood comes off, and there's the scenario in the room, and it's built to overwhelm you. And the the one I always talk about is okay, there's a, a chick. 10 feet in front of you, unarmed, smiling and waving, um, smiling at you, okay? In the back corner of the room, you see a bad guy holding a gun uh, with a hostage and the guns to his head, okay? There's a significant threat. You then hear yelling behind you. You take a peek behind you. There's three dudes back 10 feet behind you, 20 feet behind you. They're unarmed, but they look like they want to rip your head off and they're angry. Right. So that all they've done is just set up a scenario to overwhelm most people. This is something that, you know, what's the first decision you need to make? Deal with the guy with the gun and the hostage. Right. And and that should take two minutes to decide. Right. So, boom. Guy with the gun goes first. Hostage is saved. Okay, now you got immediately next biggest threat. Guys behind you. But they're unarmed. So we don't want to see you turn around, just start guns ablazing and and shoot them. We want to see you verbally deescalate and and get those guys to lay down right they lay down they put their hands up okay now they're no longer a threat oh wait i gotta re i gotta rescan the female that i initially saw i'm gonna turn around and look at her and of course she's the one with the gun that she's produced and has a gun to your head so you fail right the the whole point here my, my, my whole point with this exercise is it's no longer buds it's no longer run 12 miles that way and don't quit and get in the cold water and don't quit and okay, hold hands and you know do all this stuff. In the. It's no longer about quitting. It's about, can you make really smart decisions under stress and pressure and how smart can that decision-making be? For instance, right? We had a great plan going into the mission. We got punched in the face. Our plan goes sideways. The first door I go to, right? Tyrell commented on my, my uh, bolt cutters that I had on my gear. We get to the door. We're not going to blow it open. Um, Right. We wanted to remain a little quiet. I know we just crashed our helicopter, but we're professionals. Right. So we're going to try and get in this door another way. Bottom line is um, we got shot at through that door. Um, That's where the the bullets got stuck in the, the handle of my bolt cutter um that's where that story comes from right um for selection and training and getting into uh, six and 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 this hooded box drill that i'm trying to explain it, it's it's way different than buds it, it's more oh, yeah. well, about make decisions under stress
0: so so you mentioned earlier by the way all incredible uh, you mentioned earlier you know not every seal is a leader would you say every member of a seal team six is now a leader? I, I would
2: argue no, but I, I guess it's up to the individual. <laughs> I don't know. I would say no.
0: Okay, because I, I would say as you go through the process, you're going to see more cream rice at the top and leaders present themselves um, in, well, in in going yeah. through that training.
2: Yeah, but you also, yes. And, and in the military, there's different positions of leadership that we put people in. And then we have expectations of them in that moment. So uh, uh, there was probably a lot of great leaders. There was at the, at my former command that never were placed in a true position of leadership. Right. But there was a ton of people in leadership positions that weren't the best
0: leaders. Okay. And now going back to that box drill, um, was there a right scenario or were they just pegging you to fail? Like, like, it seems
1: like you can't like, like, it's what uh, do you do? What do you do with the hot girl?
2: well nothing you you there's n- you, maybe maybe it's quicker right the the whole point is to overwhelm you the whole point is to show you you can't see everything the whole point is to 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 watch you fail in in decision making and here's the analogy i give everybody if you've been in a car accident that's like your first car accident right uh it, you're overwhelmed you've just been in an accident you're trying to figure out what's going on well you get in a second car accident you, you've got to been there before you've had your head banged up you know, it's like getting in a fight, whatever it is, right? You, you get in your third car accident, fourth car accident, you're getting a lot better at these accidents. By the time you've been in 10 freaking car accidents, you're so good. You're like, honey, hold on. We're going to get hit and and a mile up the road, you get T-boned. So, so right. You, you can react accordingly in those positions. So my point with that is The reason we do those hooded box drills is because when your helicopter crashes out of the sky on a very high profile target, you get punched in the face. You need a group of guys that, yes, they're not going to quit, but they're also much more capable of, of making smart decisions under stress after getting punched in the face.
0: Okay. Uh,
1: Let's just back up two seconds. Uh, How the crap did y'all survive a helicopter crash? Yeah, that was a miracle. Like (laughs) that's the craziest thing ever.
2: 100 percent if you're if you're a person of faith i i I am not here without uh god lining up that successful crash
0: like how describe this crash to me like what happened
2: well um
0: the airplane (laughs) fell the helicopter fell out of the sky
2: (laughs) let's compare airplanes can come skidding in helicopters crash ugly. correct correct okay all right i don't know how many helicopter, people that
0: survive a
1: helicopter crash
2: a, a helicopter has to beat the air into submission in order to stay aloft correct <laughs>
1: correct <laughs> okay well, let me tell you just real quick i'm interrupting your story but ron sikorsky who invented the sikorsky helicopter he, his famous quote was it's the only machine that is trying to beat itself to death the second you start it so yep. yeah <laughs> just yeah, start right. with for, that concept
2: for, for every hour of flight time it's like three hours of maintenance or something i don't
1: know yeah but yeah no we got
2: we got extremely 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 lucky i mean that that's i, I wouldn't say it was even luck it was just we, we god lined it up for us not to not to eat it that night
1: so I mean, make sure i'm understanding the story right mark obviously i wasn't there i'm that nerdy guy that's watched the documentaries and stuff but there was a wall around the compound you guys are coming in you guys were going to land on the top of the building and kind of assault down well he loses power and and I've actually got a guy that we're we're hopefully to get on that is uh, he flies in 160th. So it's these guys are badasses. They're the best pilots that we have. He loses power, he says, Hey, we're going down. It starts auto-rotating, and he he aimed for an open spot, which was the garden inside the compound. But the the literally the tire on the tail landed on that wall, which was just a miracle. I mean, that wall the pictures that they showed it looks like is about a foot thick so it landed on that wall but that kept the plane that kept the helicopter from rotating so then the nose hits the blades are kicking up all kinds of dust you got your feet sticking out the door and your buddies are like get the hell out
2: yeah that's basically it i mean i only thing i would say is that the main rotor blades never hit the ground they never did they never hit the ground and that's that's, amazing. that's that's the i think in the movies or whatever they've got the rotor blades Had the rotor blades connected with the ground they it, it it would have started to come apart or something something else there would have been some casual there would have been something but yeah. the rotor blades didn't
1: so literally by grace of god that that tail just happened to land perfectly on that wall
2: yeah. Yeah. and the, and the pilot i mean
1: yeah phenomenal
0: pilot i mean the <laughs> That's, that's incredible. Okay. So you've had an amazing career. I still want to hear some more stories, but I want you to look back now at the individual that you were kind of at the beginning of this. And then all the experiences you've had, what are the, what are the biggest changes or lessons that you saw in yourself and learned through all of it?
2: I mean, that's, that's honestly why I wrote the the second book, no hero. Cause I've, i looked back on my career. I'm like, man, here's a lot of different lessons that I learned from different aspects and mostly from me screwing stuff up.
0: Um, Hold on real quick. I love that. You just said that by screwing stuff up, you learned and grew from those experiences. And I think today's generation and people walking around, they're so scared to fail and they're so scared of what that's going to be. But I love that you just said those were learning and growth moments for you. How do you know where your limit is? How do you know it? Yes, thank you it? so yeah. much for saying that. That is so brilliant. So, what? Give us one or two things that you learned or growth that you experienced through those failures that you're a different person today. Oh, dude, I
2: I, I don't know. There's there's too many to count. I mean, there's. Uh, my whole life has been built on, hey, you fail, you learn, you figure out how to solve the, the problem again, and, and you, you, you keep going. Um, I don't know. I, I have a handful of stuff that I look back on, um, and right, I, I talk about teamwork a lot. Right? There's there's nothing that I've done in my career that I did by myself. Um, yes, there's a lot of individual aspects of commitment, whatever being a seal, but it's also a huge
0: teamwork game. Absolutely. Um, I
2: love that. I talk about comfortable being uncomfortable. No,
0: I love it. You you um, could do my presentation for me.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Buds is about making people uncomfortable and seeing what they do in that space. And I loved it. I loved the harder, the the hardest stuff we could do, the 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 hey ho jumps, the the underway shipboarding stuff, the cold, miserable, the stuff you'd see guys wanting to quit on. That's the stuff that ate me up. I loved it. I don't know why. But I
0: loved being uncomfortable. That's exactly exactly what my my wife would say. Is she just like, oh, this is the path of least resistance or I could go this way. I'm definitely choosing this way. (laughs) It's going to be way more fun. Yeah, for sure. And she just is she's so mentally tough and she's gritty and she's resilient. And I think it's because she has that same whatever it is inside you and inside her that just says, you know what? that seems too easy. That's not very adventurous. I'm going to go this way. And because of that, she's just an amazing person um, because she is gritty. She's resilient. She's not afraid to pull her, pull her uh, sleeves up and, and and get dirty and do the work. Was
1: there yeah. a, was there a mission or was there a, a time that really tested you that you're like, Ooh, this is, this is getting me right to the end. Yeah. What almost broke you?
2: Honestly, guys, I, I don't, I never felt almost broken. I, I think i I've, I've, I've felt almost more, I felt more broken after getting out of the teams than I ever did in.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, I'm sorry. I just could never allow myself to go there. Uh, to, to me, that was, um, that was quitting. That was, if I, you know, certainly in the middle of a mission, you're not, you're not thinking about, Hey, it is what it is. Solve the problem in front of you. And, you know, it's another thing I prioritize and eat one bite at a time. Right. I read you all those statistics from buds, all all those things. That's what that's why most of people quit buds is because they they read all those statistics and they're like, oh, my God, it's so difficult. I can't run that far. Well, if you just show up. (laughs) And take a step, you'll get going and show up, you know, eat that elephant. That's a, that's a huge elephant. Nobody eats all those statistics in one bite and one day of buds that's spread out over six, six months. Right. So if I learned anything in buds, it's, it's ignore the size of the elephant. It's focus on the one little bite you can take. And if it's one step, if it's getting your ass out of bed, if it's whatever that one bite is, it's just take the bite and take the next bite and take the next bite.
0: So good. And I think that's why people fail is because they look at the elephant. They look at that list. They look at their lists in their lives. They look at what they need to do in order to be quote unquote successful. And they get completely overwhelmed. And they're like, "Ah, I'm not even going to start because I can't do it. And I love that you have to break it down to the one thing. And actually, Simon, Simon, I think it's Simon Sinek has a great book called The One Thing. Um, I apologize if I got the author wrong. Um, But it's just a a great read, and it's that exact same concept of breaking it down. Dude, you fired me up. I think I want to like wake up tomorrow morning, go put throw seventy pounds in a backpack, and try to do twelve miles under three hours. Like, I want to see if I can do. Like, I know Tyrell would be on board with me, but he just had knee surgery, and so I know it's like guts are turning inside (laughs) out because he's like, "Hell yeah, I'll I'll meet you at four a.m. tomorrow to do that." So I guess I'm not gonna have to do it because I got nobody to do it with me. (laughs) Uh,
1: Along that same line, Mark, share your uh, share your three foot circle story. Okay. All right. I All actually right. love this out of the book. So for, for those of you that are listening, um, encourage everyone to go out, get both of these books for Mark. Just look up Mark Owen on Amazon, No Easy Day, No Hero. Um, you've got another book coming out, right? Yep. Yep. Here next year sometime. Fantastic. So look up Mark, make sure you're following his books, but I, I love this story. And I actually shared this with the football team just yesterday. So if you don't mind, I'd rather hear it from you than, than me share it. <laughs> no,
2: I love it when you share my story.
0: <laughs>
1: I trust me, I'd rather hear it from you. Second title is in Tyrell's
0: crap. He makes um, stuff, anyways. well, listen, it's it's
2: a story out of um, out of No Hero, but I, I talk about right when I first joined, I was afraid of heights, right? Whether my first skydive or whatever, um, it's not a natural thing for me. I didn't grow up rock climbing and doing any of this stuff, so it's so it scared me. Um, and right, I, I've got to be comfortable being uncomfortable. So it was um, heights, rock climbing, skydiving were, were areas that I wanted to volunteer to get extra training in so I could overcome my fear. Right. So I did all the tandem bundle stuff on the skydiving side and I want to get all, you know, Gucci out on my training on the rock climbing side. Um, so I signed up for some climbing we get some world-class rock climbing instructors, right? Some civilians that this is all they do. We've uh, got all our gear. We flew out to Vegas, Red Rocks climbing area. There's probably, you know, 20 team guys out there. We're going to climb for two or three weeks with these these instructors and and have a great trip. Well, first couple days, I'm still a little uncomfortable, but we're going to climb this, like, 300-foot, you know, face, uh, and I get to be, you know, I drew the straw to get to go up first, be the lead climber. They've given us some classes on how to set the pro. I got the basics of this. Okay. Away I go. So I start climbing this, this face. I'm good at first. I, you know, I'm going, doing my thing. I get about halfway up this, this thing. It starts getting a little harder. You know, now I'm getting a little gassed because I'm about halfway up. and 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 so now I stop, right? I'm no longer climbing. I'm just kind of hanging on there for a second. I take a break, and I'm, now I'm looking up. I'm like, man, I'm I'm only halfway up this thing. All right, all right. I'm, I'm looking out. I can I can see the Vegas Strip off in the distance. <laughs> I'm like, all right. I'm looking down. All all the fellows are down below me. My my guy's belaying me, and of course they can see that I'm no longer climbing, and so they're yelling up, talking smack. You know, talking smack because I'm not climbing. Well, long story short. It gets to the point where I'm kind of looking around. I'm looking for my route. I can't, I'm not focused. So the the, the climbing instructor decides to get involved at this point, and, and he climbs all the way up from the ground, all the way up next to me. Now, now, granted, this instructor has no rope, right? So about 150 feet vertical. He's he's about four feet to my left uh, on a different route, no rope. And he, he gets up to me. And as he lights a cigarette, he starts telling me, he's like, hey, man, you know, you need to stay in your three foot world. And at this point, I'm like, all right, what is this guy doing here? Why is he lighting a cigarette? uh, Why doesn't he have a rope? And, and, you know, what the hell is this three foot world thing he's talking about? So long long story short, he's trying to get me to focus, right? Hey, stay in my three foot world. Look, Look at the three feet around me. What he saw me doing was looking up at the top of the cliff, out at the Vegas Strip, down at the fellows below me, at all these distractions, and none of it within three feet that I had any focus or control on in my life, right? So right in that moment, I told him to put out a cigarette, hook into my rope, and you know we'd all be safe and blah, blah, blah. But the, the, the moral of the story here is how many of us worry about stuff that's out of our control. Right. And I don't care if you wake up in the morning and turn on the news. There's there's 300 things happening here, there, everywhere. Um, and I think something that's it right for the for the UBL mission. I can remember a, a statistic somewhere in some manual that said we had up to a 70 percent chance of being shot down on the flight there or back. Right. That, that was just the percentage of being shot down, not the percentage of dealing with guns or or crashing or all the other stuff that could happen. Um, and I remember thinking okay well I'm not going to worry about that that's outside of my three foot world I, I can't affect any of that the pilots can and and they're all in in their three foot space and and our assault teams are all in in our three foot worlds so'm I'm, I'm simply not going to worry about it
1: yeah I love that yeah I, I think there's too many times that we all do that we worry about things I, I try to teach my kids that my <laughs> my son he he gets so nervous thinking about the what ifs and what could possibly happen that it it just you know, spins him completely up when I'm like, dude, our expectations of what we think are going to happen are usually 9,000 times worse than what really happens. Like, just relax. Like right now he's in football. I'm like, just relax and just do the next play. Like, that's it. Just do that next play. I love that, man.
2: Take a couple deep breaths and send it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I love it. Um, Any other, dude, I'd love to, I'd love to hear just, I don't know. I just love your stories. You got any, any fun stories or anything funny or, Anything that was just like a super memorable. I know a lot of the stuff you did was really classified, so you can't share it. But was there anything that that was kind of a cool, a cool mission, maybe that you're like, man, I, you absolutely love the whole part of it, or, or something you could share with us that maybe you haven't shared before? Oh man, put me on the spot. There's, there's a lot.
2: There's a lot of content there to go through. I don't know. I, I would, I, I liked the. Look, missions are missions and it is what it is, but it, it was the pranking and and the fun, laughter and stuff in between that, that gave you the, the energy and motivation to, to, to you know, survive the other stuff. And so I, I think my fondest memories are just, you know, messing around with the fellas and pranking everybody, either on training trips or on deployments.
0: Um, those are some of my fondest memories. Do do you do you look back and miss miss those moments or or any other part of it? Oh, for sure. I mean, I w- I would say
2: those are the moments when I when I hang out with a lot of my buddies. That's what we miss the most, right? It's it's one thing to to miss the operating and and you know creeping in the front door and shooting bad guys. That that is one thing. But um, the guys who did that long enough were kind of like, okay, we, we we've aged out of that. All right, that's that's over and done with. What do we miss? we miss hanging out with the fellows and, and being able to be in a group of, of that kind of like-minded individuals. It's that, that, brother,
0: it's that brotherhood.
2: Yeah, to a degree. And, and, and not everybody has it. I, I don't, I don't necessarily believe in any specific brotherhood. Um, I just believe in surrounding yourself with the right individuals.
0: That's me. I just told Tyrell, this quote I saw, and it said, the faker you are, the larger your circle is. And the more real you are, the smaller but more impactful your circle is, and and oh. I think that's that's kind of like what what you guys experience at a high level is like, you guys have to be real with each other, and that makes that bond so incredibly tight and invaluable. And 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 I would imagine looking back, that's what you that's what you miss, and I'm sure you still have a bond with a lot of your you know uh, guys that were with you in those experiences. For sure, for sure, for sure.
1: Um, not to not to end us on a low note, but um do you mind sharing a little bit? It's one of the things that's always inspired me about you is you, you told me one time, um, we were actually with a mutual friend of ours and, uh, you had told me at one time, you're like, I never would have hung out with someone like that when I was a team guy. Cause I thought I was too cool. I thought I was too important, but you realized getting out, like the mental transition was so hard. Um, and you just kind of had this mental shift that, Hey, I want to help everybody. And I want to help, especially with the mental aspects. Like I know that, there was some pretty big mental strains that you went through. You went through some pretty tough things and you've done a lot to help other guys in the community. Do you mind touching on that? Maybe sharing some of those things and some of the things that you've done and and maybe experiences you've had you think could help other guys that are maybe transitioning through that or going through their own hard thing.
2: Yeah. I, I think I think getting out, right? Right. We've talked a lot about SEAL missions and getting in and, you know, buds and green team and all the all this stuff to get in. Great. You know, lots of training for. Not, not any training for when you get
1: out zero
2: right it's your enlistments up and you're done turning your id card and and, and I, I talk about it in my books i say it's a speeding train right at least at the time i was in things have slowed way down now but um right there the second you're done you're no longer an asset the team's still got to be able to deploy and get the same missions done so you know you're 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 off that track um so, yeah, I think a lot of veterans exit in different trajectories, um, right? If you've read Phil's book, he got shot and had his exit. Yeah. Uh, um, d- different guys have different exits in it, and it affects them, I believe. Um, you know, the, the mutual friend of ours, the, the former team guy, right, he, was, uh, he got his tridents uh, I think the year I got out. So, you know, we, we, our careers never oversected. He had a very short career, not a lot of combat at all. I had a full career of combat um, and our lives connected after the SEAL teams. You know, he was somebody who was kicked out for drug use, right? Not, not somebody I ever would have spent any time with in the teams. Right. And, and um, because of the struggles I've seen him face and I've faced myself and other veterans have faced since getting out, we've we've re- kind of reconnected and I wouldn't say reconnect, we've connected um, o- over a lot of different things um and, and i I don't know I don't, I don't know if there's any takeaway or point to what I'm saying here other than for for veterans and other like-minded people it's not just veterans it's just finding a sense of community um when, when guys get out I, I think is is huge and and shedding the label and the title I don't care which I don't care if you're a seal or a marine or delta or a cop or I, I don't fire I don't care what your label is you're either a good person or you're not and and, and like you were saying I, I keep my my closest friends there's only a handful
0: of them i love that to not identify yourself with with accomplishments or career that you've had that were all unique individuals and and i love that you you led with like just be a good person um and and it's you know it's hard as you know on a very different level for what i do i'm a i was a i was an athlete and you know leaving that world and and just kind of Leading a more normal life now it's hard because you that's all you've been able to identify in a long time and anywhere you go, people expect that that's who you will be at, in every moment of every time in your life and so to be able to identify as a, just a good person and a human being I, I think is so valuable and and there's something to be said about community and and rallying around each other, in in the essence of kindness and and things like that so if you were to run across a young man or woman today um and you could only you could only impart one piece of advice to them what would it be oh
2: you know what this may sound cheesy weak. i don't know what you want to call it i I heard it from a a senior guy a long time ago he's like hey volunteer for everything And, and and i was like man usually they're like i need a volunteer all right take out the trash i need a volunteer all right you're cleaning the room at the end of the day that's right they're always asking for volunteers, but I had a senior guy tell me that, right. Not, don't never turn down an opportunity. Maybe that's another way to put it, but, but just always volunteer because yes, I took out a, a lot of trash and I cleaned a lot of rooms and people laugh at me because I'd always have the, my hand go up first. But at the same time, I got a, I got a ton of good deals out of being the first person to raise my hand and just be willing to volunteer for anything and say, Hey, I'll, I'll, I'll figure it out.
0: That That is such a great, yeah, that, that is such a great message. And I was at um. We have a, a professional soccer team here with Rail Salt Lake. And we were at a game the other day and we were just in between um halves. And I was talking to a friend of mine and and we we're just talking about different things in life. And 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 he he said, I, I have a new way of thinking. And it's now anytime asks somebody asks me to do something, whether it's an experience or a favor, he goes, If I can't think of a really good compelling reason to say no. I have to say yes. And, and I just, I I want to adopt that in, in my way of living because that's where, you know, when you do things where you necessarily don't want to, but you don't really have a reason not to do it. I think those are the moments that you look back and go, that was an amazing experience. Or I got to meet this amazing person. And really, because he's like, well, what would have I been doing tonight? I would have been sitting at home watching what a TV show. And instead I got to come out and in- interact with people and be entertained. and And who knows who I was going to meet tonight by by saying yes to this opportunity. And that kind of goes along with what you're saying in terms of be the first person to volunteer and and do something and, and participate and engage. Um, I, I just love that. I think that's phenomenal advice. And I think that's a great spot to, to end today. I just want to go, go. I think it goes without saying, thank you um, for all your service and and everything that you've done. And I believe we live in an unbelievable country and we have incredible freedoms and, a lot of people were just so removed from, from actual war and and conflict um, that we don't realize there's men and women that on the daily are protecting us to give us those freedoms. So bottom of my heart, thank you so much. I know I'm I'm expressing it from our listeners as well. Um, So thank you. Your, your time today has been incredibly valuable for me. There's been a lot of amazing takeaways. So thank you.
2: Well, Hey, all good. And again, Tell your audience set their expectations low. I'm, I'm not trying to be too, <laughs> polite, but by, by hiding myself, I just look since, since I wrote the books and anything I've done public, I, I use the pseudonym, right? I, I did the 60 minutes interview. I used the disguise. I, I didn't do any of this to, to be cool or, or shine any light on myself. Um, so if I could share a few of these stories and, and people can learn from something um happy to do it and uh always a good time hanging with my boy tyrell so
1: man sure love you brother hey is there is there anywhere like if someone wanted to get in touch with you do you have um social media or anything if people want to reach out to you how do they how do they get a hold of you we'll throw it in our show notes hey, man I think, I, the answer, I, I think the answer is no I, <laughs> I, i've
0: got I, I try to fly under the radar. His neighbor doesn't <laughs> even know who he is. His neighbor doesn't even know that he's living beside the baddest man on the planet. And you think you, you think he has a social media page? Come on. I, I've got,
2: I've got an Instagram account under Mark Owen seal that, that I've had up. I hate social media. I, I hate it more and more by the day I don't yeah. do on it, but I would say this, if you're a young aspiring buds candidate, I will answer your DM if you're an idiot. I'm blocking. Right? <laughs> like, <laughs>
0: that's that's maybe one of the best takeaways um, of this show is like eliminate dumb people from your life and give them no energy, no attention, and move on to the people that create value and benefit to your life and your situation. Well, I
1: sure love that you're willing to help someone else. That's you're you're great man. Appreciate you, Mark. No,
0: I've I've, I've helped a ton and and, uh, and and happy to do
2: it. So so too easy. Hey, last thing, Tyrell, you've heard my crossing guard story, right?
1: Oh man, I absolutely love it. Do you do you mind sharing it? It's actually yeah, one of my I, favorite stories. I think, you, I think you gotta end with it, right? Okay, it's yeah, so okay. my favorite. This okay, is the so best I, story I, of all time.
2: <laughs> I I, you know, I'm now out of the Navy. I'm home enough to to spend some time with my kids. So I volunteer at their local school, elementary. Uh the school doesn't know anything of my background, but I'm like one of these dads who show up and volunteer. So I, I go to the front office, they're like, Oh, hey, uh, hello, Mr. So-and-so, you know, hey, you're, you're the dad here to volunteer. Can you go work the crossing guard duty this morning as the buses arrive? Here's a reflective vest and a stop sign. <laughs> I, I kind of chuckle to myself. I'm like, I'm, o- I'm overqualified for this, but it's okay. It's going to be very safe. I don't get an assault rifle. <laughs> so so I'm, I'm working my intersection and I see this guy walk up, no joke, with a SEAL Team 6 hat on with a kid uh on each hand and he walks across the street and i i nod at him like hey what's up man and he kind of gives me a, a kind of tough guy nod and walks by i'm like man like i've seen those team six hats and uh, we don't make them like that those are the type <laughs> you buy out, you know you buy out on google or um, online so i see he drops his kids off at the school he's coming back out this time i'm gonna let the traffic go because i gotta talk to this cat so so <laughs> the traffic's running i stand there next to him i'm like hey man I see, I see your hat were you in the teams he's like yeah i was I'm like oh really and it was like a team six hat or something i'm like team yeah. six you you weren't a part of that those are the guys that got bin laden right he's like yeah he it, literally he looks around he looks back he's like well i don't like to talk about it but i was i'm like no shit you, I, I asked him if he was there i'm part of the mission right he's like i was i'm like well, well no shit so was i so, so now he's looking at me. I've got a reflective vest on my stop sign. I'm standing in front of the school. He's clearly lied to me. He has no idea who I am. I'm like, no, 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 Really? You were there Wait, what, you know, were you on chalk water, chalk two? And he starts mumble and I'm like, okay, well, well, who was the master chief? What was his name? I, you know, in chalk one, well, what buds class were you and, and very quickly, we determined that this guy was not answering any of my questions. Now he had to have been dra- massively confused who I was because the crossing guard had all this information <laughs> he did not have. Bottom line, I was going to kill him with the stop sign, but uh, <laughs> but, but I was told not to.
1: <laughs> Moral of the story: Don't wear a hat. Make sure either. you're not faking the Navy Seal because it could be the guy at the coffee shop who was actually on the, the Osama raid. <laughs> yeah yeah i love that well my friend thank you so much for your time as always honored pleasure excited to spend some time with you this fall and um and share more stories all right buddy good to
2: see you guys let's do it again
0: awesome man if you guys like today's show please like share tell everybody about it and as always stay as gritty as possible